0: 1 John, chapter 3. The apostle John has one primary concern that is apparent all through 1 John. An elaborate but false concept of the person and work of Jesus Christ was circulating, was becoming popular, with the potential of deceiving the Christians John was writing to. A religious philosophy was being pressed in that age with a portrayal of Christ that contradicted what the apostles taught about him. It was human philosophy mixed up with the gospel, and thus it was not really the truth of the gospel. John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to respond with urgent, corrective teaching. And in the midst of that, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. As he is pure. Now, let me make this observation. When you have to respond to false teaching, there is always the danger that the argumentation becomes or is perceived as being academic and therefore not practical. At various places in the text of 1 John, he makes it clear to his readers the truth about who Jesus is and what he did is of the highest practical value. It is not dry academics simply to be debated. It is a powerful issue of heart and life. The truth about who Jesus is and what he did defines who we are, who we're able to be, what we believe and how we live. At various critical intersections, therefore, in 1 John, John punctuates the practical value that is a product of all of this debate and response to false teaching about who Jesus is and what he did. John, I think, wants the readers to be certain that you can't let the truth about Christ be just an academic topic of discussion and debate and a subject of controversy. Because behind it all, there is the love of God that makes it possible for us to be His children and live as His children day after day. Now, with that said, I want to go back and read again these three verses. We shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Here's what I want to stress in the beginning part of our study. And I shall come back and wrap up the study at the end with this point. The truth about who Jesus is and what he did for us expresses to us the love of God, which, when fully appreciated, can take us to purity of life while we're here, and heaven after a while. We're going to explore that from the text. Stay here in 1 John 3, but but have Romans 5, verse 8 ready. I'm going to be there in just a moment. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 is going to be a part of our study in the beginning here. But here's where it starts in 1 John chapter 3. The kind of love the Father has for us and has given to us. You know why preachers and writers struggle to find a good illustration of God's love because there is nothing on earth that really comes close. God's love that enables us to be His children has no human parallel. It is unlike anything we see in ordinary existence here on earth, in the ordinary course of human events. That is exactly the point that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 5, And at this place in verse 8, it is emphasized. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we know people who have died. We know people who have sacrificed for others. But we know of nothing that is parallel to or comparable with the sacrifice of Christ for sinners. Now, John gets to what's behind that singular unique sacrifice on the cross. The love of God. And it's that love that prompted that sacrifice that makes it possible for sinners to be saved by the death of Christ. And and that death of Christ has no parallel. Nothing on earth adequately illustrates it. So when arguments are made about who Jesus is and what he did, that goes immediately to the cross, and the cross goes immediately to the love of God for us. So in most of 1 John, John is arguing about who Jesus is, and he's answering false teaching. But he stops his argumentation here in chapter 3 about the person and work of Christ. And at this intersection, he connects all that about the person and work of Christ to God's love that makes it possible for us to be his children. See, it all connects. And he says to his readers, behold the love of God in the older translations. And in the newer translations, it is see what kind of love the father has given to us. So John is saying, be sure you are clear about who Jesus is and what he did. Don't fall for the false doctrine that's out there, but be certain that you connect all this. About who Jesus is and the death that he died in the flesh with God's love that makes it possible for us to be his children. What a contradiction. For somebody to say they admire God's love and yet they refuse to acknowledge the evidence and truth about who Jesus is and what he did. So it's all connected. The historical truth about who Jesus is and what he did is connected to the love of the Father that prompted the cross that enables us to be the people that we are able to be in our purity here in life and our journey toward heaven. See, because of that active love of God, which found expression in the person and work of Christ, we can, John says, be called children of God of God and John makes it clear it is just a label. And he does that with three words. So we are. Who Jesus is. And what he did is not a sideline. It's not just the subject of debate. It's not just mere historical fact, though it is historical fact. It concerns how God's love was activated to get us out of sin and bring us to God, enable us to be His children. So behind the truth of Christ, there is the love of God, and when we accept that love, responding to the cross and living faithfully, we are children of God. John wants us not just to understand the debate about the deity and humanity of Christ, He wants us to appreciate the love of God that is the cause, making it possible for Jesus to come, be the Son of Man and the Son of God and die for us, be raised from the dead, and for us now to be members of His family. All of that needs to be connected. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Now, Packaged into all of this that is so well connected by the Holy Spirit through John, there is a negative. The world doesn't like us. John speaks to that. He says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. When I align myself with God, something I can do through the cross, when I become His obedient child... And as I live out that way of life, the world doesn't recognize that. The world doesn't like that. The world doesn't show me favor or praise. The world didn't show favor or praise to Jesus. When I follow him, therefore the world will not show favor and praise to me. So part of this in 1 John is very similar to what Peter says and what James says and what Paul says. Don't be surprised. If you live right, something you're able to do because of who Jesus was and what he did. If you live right, those who live wrong will not like it. And may express their dislike in forms of hostility and exclusion or even persecution. Don't be surprised about that. But don't grieve about that. Because remember who you are how loved you are by God as expressed in the cross and what the outcome will be for the faithful. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be "...has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is." The truth about who Jesus is and what He did is an expression of the love of God, which, when fully appreciated, gets us out of sin in our response to the gospel, enables us to be His children and be pure and go to heaven. It's all connected. Observe how John states the hope of the child of God. It is stated by the Hebrew writer in terms of an anchor. We studied this morning. It is stated differently by John. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him As he is. I think when our thoughts are focused on the second coming of Christ. The resurrection of the dead. The final judgment scene. And our entrance into heaven. It is tempting to let imagination get ahead of knowledge. Or to engage in speculation. And let speculation become doctrine. There is, I suppose, if I can say it this way, a natural curiosity about the eternal and the supernatural. We have questions about such things that may not have specific, detailed answers on the pages of Scripture. That's where trust comes in that produces hope. Knowing who God is, that it's impossible for him to lie. And that because of his love, Jesus did what he did and was who he was. But when the details about how how all that works out are not revealed, we need to be satisfied with ignorance. Now this is one of the times when I'll say that we need to be satisfied with ignorance. And be careful to avoid dreamy sort of speculation about how all that's going to be. I think John is reminding us of that in this verse. Calling upon us to trust. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. This doesn't mean there's no information. It means all that we might want to know about future things is not revealed now. We do not enjoy full present information about the future. But here's what we know. When He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And people stop preachers right there and they say, explain that in detail. Give us an hour lecture on that. I'm just going to read what John said. We know that He, Christ, will be revealed. We also know that we, His people, will be transformed so that we will be like Him. Another reference is made to this by Paul in Philippians 3.21. The Lord will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. I can read that in Philippians 3.21. I can read 1 John 3 but I really can't draw you a picture. John Stott was right when he said, It is enough for us to know that on the last day and through eternity, we shall both be with Christ and like Christ. For the fuller revelation of exactly what we shall be, we're going to have to be content to trust and wait John wants us to understand how everything is connected while not drawing a detailed picture for us. Who Jesus is and what he did has behind it the love of God and because of that we can become children of God and have this hope. That isn't given to satisfy our total curiosity but to supply sufficient promise and motivation to, That takes me now to verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him. Purifies himself as he is pure. You see how John takes it to how we ought to live. To purity. I want to make this observation though. I think it ought to be said not everyone has this hope. John says everyone who thus hopes in him. Not everyone has this hope. If you are not walking in the light, if you are not walking as Christ walked, if you're not practicing righteousness in the family of God, then you can't just jump in and grab this hope and claim it. But everyone who has this hope of seeing Him and being with Him and like Him, everyone with his hope finds powerful motivation for purity. This is what hope should do for us, make us pure. Not only anchors us, as we observed this morning, it enables us and motivates us toward purity, continuing with the Lord, keeping ourselves in the Lord, walking in the light. To be motivated properly here and now, you have to get focused on that hope. The Christian who fixes his hope on Christ's return will purify himself, not just academically, but morally and internally. Great steps toward moral purity can be taken under the influence of this hope. It helps us with the pain and struggle against sin and error and compromise. This hope enables us to overcome evil thoughts. Certainly, the apostle does not deny and has affirmed all the divine aid necessary to overcome sin, namely the love of God and the death of Christ. But here, he brings into view and connects it all to the motivating value of hope. But remember, what is fundamental to all of this is who Christ is and what He did for us as prompted by the love of God. Remember what I said earlier? The truth about who Jesus is and what He did expresses to us the love of God, which, when fully appreciated, can take us to purity of life. C. Because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I could call this study God's love as connected to the truth about Jesus. That connection can take us to great heights of motivation resulting in discipline and purity and wisdom and soundness of belief. And then I want you to consider, as I close, everything John tells the Christian to do in 1 John is enriched and strengthened and highlighted by this affirmation in the middle of the book about God's love as it is connected to the truth about who Jesus is and what He did. I'll urge you the next few days to read 1 John with this in mind. And here's what you're going to discover. What does John say Christians ought to be doing? Walk in the light as He is in the light. Confess our sins. Keep His commandments. Walk just as He walked. Love your brother, do not love the world, do the will of the Father, and practice righteousness. One more time. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Let's be standing as we sing.